It should be on. First Corinthians, there we go. First Corinthians 1, 18, 2 through 5 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tiffany, so much. We're calling this series The Ordinary, Extraordinary Church. Because the church, and, and certainly this church, can and is quite ordinary. Quite ordinary. But our contention is from Scripture that our extraordinary God does extraordinary things through His rather ordinary people. And so far we've looked at structural elements in the church. We define the church. we thought about membership in the church and leadership in the church. We're now going to shift to culture, let's call it, the culture of the church. Today, to that end, I want to see why we should be what I'm going to call an evangelical people. Now, that word evangelical is from, it's from an older English word, evangel, which is originally from a Greek word. It means good news, a good messenger, literally, good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. So when you hear me saying today, gospel, just think good news. The good news of Jesus' life, or birth rather, life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So by evangelical, I mean we want to be a people who are all about the evangel, the good news, that gospel of Jesus Christ. But I use that word evangelical intentionally. Because today, it's taken on a connotation of power, mainly political power. Today, it's associated with 
almost a political party of people in our country. News stories are written about the president meeting with evangelical pastors, and news stories are written about how the evangelicals might vote in 2018 or 2020. So evangelical is now this political party of political power. But let's face it, just in general, in general, humans, we crave power, don't we? It's not just political, not just governmental. We want power in the workplace. I want to be the one who calls the shots. We want power in the home to be served and not to serve. I was at the youth conference this past weekend with a number of the parents and youth, and a former criminal prosecutor said there are only three reasons why people lie, only three core reasons, money, sex, and power. In fact, John Stott, biblical commentator, said that power is more intoxicating or can be more intoxicating than alcohol and more addictive than drugs. So why be an evangelical people? Is that just some kind of power play? No. We should be all about the evangel, the good news, because that good news is all about power through weakness. That good news is all about power through weakness to God's glory. And I submit to you this passage shows us that's the reason why we should be a gospel-centered people. Because God displays His power through weakness in this gospel to His glory. That's, that's the main takeaway. If you want a takeaway, this is it. God displays His power through weakness to His glory in this gospel. Let's see that in three ways. Here's the first way. First, we see that in that power through weakness is in the gospel itself. First, power through weakness in the very message itself. You see, the Corinthian church, a little background, they had, to put it nicely, they had some problems. They had some challenges. They had people coming drunk to the Lord's Supper. Sexual immorality was being tolerated, if not celebrated. Members were suing each other. Spiritual gifts were being badly abused. Some were denying a future bodily resurrection of believers. I mean, if you want to be grateful for this ordinary church right here, if you want to be filled with amazement for this ordinary local church we call Grace Church, study the book of 1 Corinthians. It'll fill you with fresh gratefulness for the problems we don't have here right now. But it wasn't just those issues. They craved human wisdom, the latest human philosophy, and, and they wanted it brought to them in a way that would impress them. They wanted a rhetorical show that was big in this day. And so the apostle takes that head on, beginning in verse 18. Notice verse 18 again. He says, for the word of the cross, that's the gospel, the evangel. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, quoting the prophet Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will 
thwarts. So verse 18 tells us there really are only two kinds of people. But it calls them the perishing or those who are being saved. And to the perishing, this gospel, this evangel, is, it's folly, it's foolishness, it's, it's ridiculous. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you should ask, well, what makes the difference for these people? Why is the gospel folly for some and the power of God for others? Well, as the apostle goes on, he explains, notice in verse 22. Here's the beginning of his explanation, verse 22, or, or continuing his explanation. He says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. These are kind of like two great human idolatries. One says, one said to Jesus, Give us a sign, show us some display of power to prove yourself to us, because we are judge and jury over you. That was the problem. Prove yourself to us, Jesus. The other idol is human wisdom or human reason, which sets itself up against God himself. The Corinthians, you see, the Corinthians had made this gospel one more form of human wisdom. One more, one more idea in the great marketplace of ideas. And, and we will judge whether it cuts the mustard passes mustard, whatever that saying is. It's got something to do with mustard. Power for proof or human wisdom as the standard of truth. Are, are you living out either one of those idolatries yourself? Here's, here's how you can know. Is this gospel folly to you? Is this evangel, this good news, foolishness to you? Have you put it aside? If so, according to this passage, if it's folly to you, God says you're in the category of the perishing. And I would urge you to turn to Christ believing. Turn from that idolatry. Turn from unbelief and, if you will, surrender to Jesus Christ. I like that word. Surrender to Jesus and, and trust in His life, death, and resurrection to take away your sins. Rely on what Jesus has done to bring you to God, and God will bring you into the other category of those being saved for whom this message is the power of God. As the Apostle explains in verse 23, so he says, we preach, we preach Christ crucified. Not giving in to those idolatries, Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, you have to realize how crazy Christ crucified sounded. This sounded nutso, right? Christ crucified was an oxymoron. That, that's a statement of opposites. That's like saying hot ice or freezing fire. 
They, they didn't wear crosses as jewelry, as, as pendants. A cross was the most shameful way to die. It, 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 it was not meant to just kill you. It was meant to humiliate you and act as a deterrent. You hung naked on a cross, pierced in hands and feet, naked for days until you finally suffocated to death. It was reserved only for slaves and the most base of criminals. So to say Christ crucified or your Messiah, your Messiah was crucified, that's to say, look, you can be rescued by a Jewish death row inmate. A Jewish death row inmate can take away your sins. Entrust your soul, entrust eternity to a wandering rabbi who was condemned by the Roman state and executed like a slave. I mean, no one, no one could have dreamed up such a weak message. That's weakness. Unless God has acted upon you, like he describes in verse 24. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, no distinction. Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. So catch this. If, if God has called you, if God has summoned you from the perishing and summoned you into the other category of those being saved, if God has called you like that, then this is for your life Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. So, Catch what I'm saying here. It's, it's power through weakness in the very nature of the message itself. And I want to ask you, do you still believe that? Do you still believe that? It's the message of Christ crucified. Is that still the power of God and the, the wisdom of God for you personally? Are you living in the good of that message? I mean, ask yourself, let's just make some application. Ask yourself, on what power or wisdom am I relying on for my own sanctification, my own process of change, my own process of becoming more like Jesus? Is it, is it your own power? This mere moralistic self-effort, pull yourself by, by your own bootstraps and you in your own own strength alone can conquer that sin? Is that what you're doing? Or is it in some form of human wisdom? Now we can learn things, for instance, we can learn things from secular psychology, but we must not make that wisdom equal with this wisdom, the gospel. They're not equal. The hymn, the hymn, Rock of Ages, gets it right. It says, He, Jesus, breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. That's the process of change. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Friends, no 
No mere moral human effort and no human philosophy can accomplish that. Only Christ crucified the power and wisdom of God. Or think about, think about if you're married. On what power or wisdom are you relying ultimately for your marriage? I heard a pastor quoting someone else recently, and this other gentleman said, of he and his wife, we've been married for 46 years, and the last 23 have been great. He was saying the first 23 were hard. And that's the reality for some people. That's the reality sometimes for some people. Marriage can be a, a difficult arena for some. And so books are written, sermons preached, 10 keys to transforming your marriage, 12 steps for a better marriage, 20 steps to really make marriage. I mean, you name it, there's lots of stuff like that, and, and there are things to learn. There are things to learn. But listen, it's Christ crucified that enables husbands and wives to turn away from bitterness and forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven them. It's Christ crucified that transforms a marriage from being all about me and my needs and into being a living illustration of Jesus and His bride, the church. That's the power of God and the wisdom of God for a marriage. Or, if you're a parent, ask yourself, on what power and wisdom am I relying for my, my parenting? We tend to, I tend to, locate my parental hope in myself. I mean, Sung and I used to think we had parenting all figured out. We had a formula, you might say. A plus B always, and without exception, equals C and D and E and F and G. It's that simple. You follow the formula and we parented honestly, largely out of fear, and largely with a craving for control. And yes, 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 we must be diligent in the parenting task. But listen, parents, your child does not most need outward conformity. They most need inward spiritual transformation. And you can't do that. Christ crucified does. The power and wisdom of God. Or whatever your season of life, single, married, parent, whatever your situation, maybe walking through a trial, walking through some suffering, and right now you're tempted to say, where is God in this situation? Where is God's love for me in the midst of this trial? An understandable question. But listen, circumstances, it's a very difficult book to read accurately. You can't just look around you and draw hard, fast conclusions about the character of God. We have the book of Job for that reason. You need another lens on your situation, the lens of Christ crucified, where you become convinced that He is a wise and powerful God who loves you so much He did not withhold His own Son. That doesn't answer every single question. It will convince you 
that the gospel shows you God's care, God's love, and God's power for you right now. God, friends, displays His power through weakness in the gospel itself, the message of Christ crucified. And that's why we must be all about this good news. Here's a second reason. Passage goes on. Secondly, power through weakness in gospel people, those who believe. Power through weakness in gospel people. Look now to verse 26. For, going on then, in light of that power, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So now it's those who believe the message are the weak ones who put its power on display. That's why he says, not many of us wise according to this world. Not, not many of us were powerful. Not, not many of us were impressive in the eyes of the world. It's not that God doesn't save any who might be noble or powerful. It's just that He doesn't save many. There's a lady named Selina, Countess of Huntingdon, an 18th century British aristocrat who hung out with people like George Whitfield and John Wesley, and she sought to introduce the gospel to the British upper classes, and she said, I thank God for the letter M in many. It's not that God doesn't save any, no M. He doesn't save many. Not many. Movers and shakers that God calls to Himself. Think about it, teenagers, young people. If you're, if you're enamored with those who are popular in this world, if you are enamored with celebrity, or you're enamored with the movers and shakers in your social circles, whoever has the most followers on Instagram, the most friends on Facebook, whoever gets the most likes on their pictures, if that's what you focus on and fixate on, and really that's all that you seek to hang out with, the popular then you're missing the heart of God who mainly calls the unpopular, the uncool, the unimpressive. Do you know why? Look at verse 27. Here's why. The God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world, shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Notice why. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's why. It's, it's the very opposite of the experience I had in junior high school. I don't know what your junior high experience was like, but in P.E. class, when the P.E. teacher wanted us boys to play basketball or kickball or what have you, he'd line us all up, 
he called forward the two most athletic boys in the class. Always the same two guys. Seemed like. And these two guys would begin to pick their teams, right? One after another. I'll take him. I'll take him. Who do they pick first? The most athletic guy. Who do they pick next? The next most, most athletic guy. Who do you think was always there among the last few to be picked? And it would be like, yeah, okay, I'll take trainer. You know, it's like, I'll take the dregs of the athletes if I have to. Listen, God picks his people in the exact opposite way. He says, I'll, I'll take the foolish to shame the wise. I'll take the weak one in the back there to shame the strong. I'll take the low and despised over here. I want the outcasts and the rejects. Why? So that no one can boast before me. That's why we're a pretty ordinary bunch. It's why Christianity is often spread fastest through the lowest classes of society. Slaves in the Roman Empire. Untouchables in India. Among the slums of Latin America. So that no one may boast. It's why... It's why Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He wasn't saying be childish. He was saying humble yourself like a little child. Unless you come to Jesus saying, Jesus, I have nothing, nothing to offer you but I am helplessly needy for you. Then he says, you're qualified. Come on in. For then you will understand and appreciate verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom, true wisdom from God. That is, righteousness, sanctification or holiness, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Friend, do you, do you still come to him helpless? Like a child? Saying, Jesus, you alone are my righteousness. You alone are my standing before God. Do you, you live that way? Do you, do, you, do you still live saying, Jesus, you alone are my sanctification, my holiness. You have set me apart. I have no holiness apart from you. Do you still live aware? Jesus, you are my redemption. You set me free from everything I cannot free myself. Do you still rejoice in those words because of him you are in Christ Jesus how, how did that call to worship we use land on 
to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, who feel worthless, who fail, who sin and need a savior. Does that rub you the wrong way? In my, my heart wants to say, I can give myself rest, thank you. I, I can comfort myself, pretty self-sufficient here. I, I can find worth and strength in myself. I need to say, friend, let us say, because of him, because our lives are to be exhibit A for his power through weakness. So never lose your desperate sense of your need of Jesus Christ because God displays his power in gospel people. That's the second reason why we must be about the evangel, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's see one more reason. Third, power through weakness in the gospel mission. We saw power through weakness in the gospel itself, power through weakness in the gospel people, those who believe. Now, power through weakness in this mission we have to those around us with this message. You see, the apostle caps off his argument in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, when I came to Corinth, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with, with lofty speech or wisdom. Remember, they loved human wisdom with rhetorical flourish. They wanted to be impressed. They wanted a rhetorical show. Paul says, I did not come to impress you. Instead, verse 2, I decided to know nothing, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. doesn't mean he had amnesia about every other topic. It means, it means that seemingly foolish and utterly weak message was, was the focus of his mission. It was his message to them as he explains what this looked like in verse 3. I was with you, verse 3, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So notice, now the apostle himself is using himself as the, as the weak one through whom God's power is displayed. He says, I came, I came in weakness. It might have been a physical condition. And I came in fear and, and much trembling. In Acts chapter 18, you can read about Paul going to the city of Corinth and planting this church where he was, quote, opposed and reviled. And it would seem it was rather discouraging for him, for the Lord himself appeared to Paul in a vision and said, don't be afraid, I'm with you, keep preaching. So track with me. His, weakness, uh, his experience was weakness, fear, much trembling. Can you relate to that in the gospel mission? Well, those are like my middle names. My middle name when it comes to outreach and evangelism. I, I, it ought to be weakness. Certainly should be fear. And you can just add in much trembling for good measure. And I get discouraged. I start to think evangelism, I, I tried that. Now, I, I already tried that. And I had my neighbors over to my house. Yeah, I did the thing, you know, show love, show hospitality. Look, it didn't work. But these words in verse 4 encourage me. 
and my speech, he says, and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So I was weak, but this message came with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What was that? Well, most likely it's what's in verse 5. So that your faith, your faith in Christ, might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the demonstration of the Spirit here seems to be there, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Weakness, fear, much trembling in the mission, but God uses the message to save people. So the key, friends, the key is not in what's your technique, as helpful as that might be. The key is not in do you have every answer for every question, as great as that is. The key is in believing that when this good news comes out of your mouth, it comes spring-loaded with God's power. The key is in believing that though you are weak and in fear and much trembling, when you share this message, you might see a demonstration of the Spirit and of power when God causes someone to believe. And I have told this story before, but I thought it was worth repeating. When Sung and I lived in Illinois, a couple moved a few doors down. They had moved originally from China. So total, total atheistic background. A little bit of traditional Buddhism sprinkled in. We would get together periodically. We would celebrate Chinese New Year together. We just developed a friendship. We would hang out. Sung would take our kids and their kids to the park. Got a little crazy one time. Their daughter bit a friend of our son. It was not pretty. Sung did a Bible study with the wife. And the wife professed faith in Christ. But the husband, my friend, was entirely closed. He was always polite and politely closed. But we kept doing Chinese New Year together. We kept hanging out together. And over time, God began to draw him. He said something like to me one time, um, basically, the idea that God might exist seems plausible. That God might exist seems possible. And it was almost an attractive thought to him, to his surprise. Well, more time went on. And one night, not long before we moved, it was a beautiful fall night in the Midwest. We are sitting on their back deck. And I said to my friend Li Shang, I said, Li Shang, give us a spiritual update. What are your, what are your spiritual beliefs now? We had that kind of friendship at this point. And he wasn't put off by that. What are your spiritual beliefs? He said to me, very matter-of-factly, we believe there is a God. We just need to know the next step. Like, why didn't I ask sooner? So I shared the evangel, the good news, one more time. I told him Jesus had died for his sins, risen from the grave. If he wanted to turn to this Jesus Christ and trust in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of his sins, he could and God would save him. I asked him if he wanted to do that. He said yes. I asked, do you want to pray and express that to Jesus right now? He said, okay, I don't know how. I said, that's all right. I prayed. He prayed the most beautiful prayer of faith I have perhaps ever heard. And
then after we moved away, they sent us pictures of their baptism. When it comes to the gospel mission, I am full of weakness and fear and much trembling. But on that back deck, I saw a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Friends, this is why we are all about the evangel, the good news. Because God displays his power through weakness in the mission itself. This is why we want to be a church where the good news is the air we breathe. And this good news is the ground on which we stand. And the, and the good news is what we most talk about and most sing about. And the good news is what we apply to our lives and, and minister to each other in our small groups. And the good news is what we proclaim to our community because we are most ordinary, but our extraordinary God does extraordinary things through this extraordinary message of power through weakness to his glory alone. And that is why, of course, we want to end celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So would the ushers please prepare to serve us and the music team please come. We want to celebrate God's power, God's power through what would appear to be a weak message, a foolish message, but that in actuality is the wisdom and power of God to all who believe. Now, if you've yet to trust in Jesus Christ, I am so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. You're in the right place. This supper is for those who've already believed, however. So just pass the trays down the aisle. But please, would you please consider what you're passing. Consider, consider what Jesus Christ has done for you. Let's be honest, you don't want to remain in the category of the perishing. So take this moment to cry out to God, to cry out to Him, to rescue you from your sins, that Jesus Christ would be for you your righteousness and holiness and redemption. I urge you to do so. For the rest, as you take the Lord's Supper, take the bread, take the cup. We'll hang on to both. Uh, hang on to both, rather. We'll take them together. But be intentional there to reflect on and rejoice in Christ crucified. Christ crucified. The power of God and the wisdom of God for all who believe. With the ushers, please come.
let us rejoice in and commune with Christ crucified, resurrected, and reigning right now.